Well, good morning. All the way from North Carolina. Tried. It was 80 degrees for Christmas in North Carolina, I'm told. And, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, does this come up? I'm just not man enough. Is that it? Oh, yeah. I was waiting for it. <laughs> uh, I'm originally from here, obviously, uh, but uh, moved down to North Carolina. I joined the Marine Corps, and then I met my wife there. And uh, after I got out in 2007, we ended up staying there. And uh, so, so there I am, still there today. Uh, Joshua chapter 6, as you turn there, I guess maybe I could tell you a little bit more about myself. My wife is from Kinston, North Carolina. Her name is Carrie. She's walking there in the room. And uh, she is from where we live today and where I am the assistant pastor. Uh, not, she wasn't from that church, but from that area. And uh, <clears throat> so she is home, and it has become our home. I've been down in there in North Carolina now for 12 years. Is that right? 12 years? 2003? Yes. So, uh, but I still love Michigan, and uh, I love my family. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, I do. <laughs> I was saying no about the fake crying, you know. But... Uh, <clears throat> privilege to be here. I'm thankful for my brother and uh, for the opportunity he's given me to preach, and I hope uh, that'll be a blessing. I hope that the Sunday school lesson this morning will be a blessing and help to you. As we look uh, this morning at Joshua chapter 6, uh, this is one of, uh, I, I probably say this every time I, I preach anything from the Bible, but this is one of my favorite stories. Um, and I, I just love how Joshua has now been put into um, this position of authority uh, after Moses being there. And so I want to kind of teach along the lines this morning of faith to move a nation. And uh, I think about a lot of times in our society that there's not really a whole lot that we can do to make a difference in America today. Uh, but we really simply need to have faith in God and uh, do what he has us to uh, do what he tells us that we need to do. And therefore, uh, we'll do it God's way. And so I want to look at that this morning in Joshua chapter 6. We'll start reading uh, the first five verses and then uh, uh, begin speaking on some different things. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. And ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear the, before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. So this morning as we think about this faith to move a nation, I want you to imagine this morning that I had the authority and the power to come into this room and make one of you the President of the United States. And so since you're the youngest, I'm going to make you the President of the United States. What's your name? What is it? Warren, okay. Warren, you're the President of the United States, and uh, we're in, currently in Royal Oak. Is that correct? Uh, Madison Heights is how far? Is it? Okay, so Madison Heights. Uh, we're, Warren, we're, the object today is that we have to take over Madison Heights. Okay, we have to do it however it is. You're the President of the United States, and so now it is your task to do it. And I came and I said, Warren, this is, I want to see how you want to do it. What would you tell me? What, what do you think would be your way of taking over Madison Heights or destroying the people in it? Just give me something. You got, would you use machine guns, rockets? Would you just kind of build a wall or wait them out? 
What do you think? Josh, what would you use? Yeah, rockets, Jacob, what would you? What, drones? That's pretty good. Anyone else? He stole it. <laughs> He's like, no, I don't know what to do. I had one kid tell me nuclear. <laughs> he said he'd, he'd, go, uh, he'd go nuclear. You know, often our, our idea is to, to do something like that, but here Joshua is. He just took over from Moses. Moses uh, brings the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery for hundreds of years. And they go and they end up wandering in the wilderness because of the people's unbelief. And then finally they get to the place, but Moses can't go in. And so he basically gets to see from the mountain. He gets to look over. And so there Joshua is put in charge. They then make it through the Jordan River. And uh, now they're on the other side of the Jordan. And they have the Jordan River on the east side. They have the Dead Sea on the south. And they have the city of Jericho standing in front of them. They are now locked in and with nowhere to go. And God tells Joshua something very interesting. He says, I don't want you to go in there and beat the walls down and siege the city like normally would happen. He says, I want you to walk around it. Well, that sounds kind of foolish, doesn't it? I mean, who in the world would walk around a city? I was in the Marine Corps, as I have mentioned, for four years. I was in artillery, and I love artillery. Artillery that we used were 155-millimeter howitzers, and, uh, which is a shell that stands about from the table here. It's about that tall. The, the smallest ones weighing anywhere from 87 pounds all the way up to a little bit taller ones that would rocket assist. They would weigh about 112 to 115 pounds, somewhere around there. And uh, that rocket, or excuse me, that artillery shell could be shot uh, as far as 15 miles without assistance, just out of, right out of the howitzer. With a rocket assist, it could double its range. And that was eight years ago when I was in the military. It may even be better now. And so uh, artillery is amazing. When one of those rounds hits the ground, it has what's called a 15, excuse me, a 50-meter kill radius. A 50-meter kill radius means that anything inside 50 meters, that is radius, uh, excuse me, 50-meter kill, yeah, radius, that, that's basically roughly 150 feet is going to die. 300-meter casualty radius is what it means someone's going to get hit by something. So almost 900 feet or three football fields wide. If I were to hit one end and you were to be standing at the end of three football fields, you would get hit by some type of shrapnel, whether it was from the round itself or something that the round threw. That's pretty amazing. And I've seen them explode. I've been on all ends of it. I've been on the back end of watching it go out of the barrel and watching it fly through the air. I've been on the other side watching them explode in front of me. And uh, it's an amazingly powerful weapon. And so I'd probably use a little bit of artillery, make things a little bit easier when you go into the city. When, we went to, when I went to Ramadi, uh, Iraq, a lot of the buildings are already destroyed because of uh, artillery uh, going in there and, and taking things out so then the Marines could go on the ground. But I say all that to say this, Joshua, he was a brand new leader. And what do new leaders usually need to do? They usually make, need to make a good impression. You know, most of you know from having new jobs, you get there and you've got to make a good impression and you've got to you know, let people know you're not weak. You've got to let people know that you're not just going to be a pushover or you're not going to be this or that. And so there you are, you're at this new job or wherever it is, even a new church, you've you kind of got to do the same thing or maybe, uh, maybe just a new house or new neighborhood and People kind of need to find out who you are, and you don't want to be 
uh, a mean person, but yet at the same time, you don't want to just be like some people can just walk over you. Where here Joshua is, this is his first battle. Israel's been walking around the desert for years, and they haven't done anything because of their complaining and their whining and because of their unbelief. And so now they finally get to go, and here they are, the whole children of Israel ready, ready and Joshua stands up and he says, all right, here's what God told me. We're going to walk around the city tomorrow. You ready? None of you can talk. You can't even utter a sound with your mouth. Uh, verse number 10 says, Joshua commanded the people, saying, Ye shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I bid you shout. Then shall ye shout. So here they are. Joshua says, All right, here's my great plan. As your new leader, let's walk around the city. I don't know about you, but that sounds a little crazy. Uh, you don't have to be a military person to seem that that sounds crazy. And so here they were. We learned, number one, you've got to walk God's way. So here Joshua and the children of Israel were. Jericho had straightly been shut up. And doing some studying, you find out that Israel, or excuse me, Jericho was quite a city. It really was a mound that was surrounded by a great earth embankment with a stone retaining wall at its base, okay? All that means is that this retaining wall of stone was 12 to 15 feet high. On top of that was a mud brick wall that was six feet thick and about 20 to 26 feet high. So if you were to stand at the bottom of this retaining wall, which was 12 to 15 feet high, I'm, almost, I'm 5 foot 10, so double me and add four inches, that would be how tall roughly that that retaining wall would be. And then on top of that would be this mud brick wall that was six feet thick and 20 to 26 feet high. That's a pretty tall wall. And that was just the outer wall. And in fact, uh, we're told by archaeologists that at the top of that embankment was a similar mud wall that, whose base was roughly 46 feet above the ground level. So there was basically two walls. There was an outer wall and then there was an inner wall. And so the city, it wasn't necessarily as big as I always used to think as a kid. I used to think Jericho was like this massively huge city. But really, what they found is that uh, the space between the upper and lower wall, if added to the six acres total, it would be a total of nine acres, the whole city of Jericho. Nine acres. That's really not that big. But the city was small and very well fortified, and that's why they were well fortified, because they were a small city. I'm told also that in, in doing the reading that I have done about Jericho, it's absolutely fascinating to me, is that uh, there was a, uh, a natural cistern or type of water source that they had. If you look back in earlier chapters of uh, Joshua, you find that they had just taken in the harvest. Before, Jericho, uh, before the Israelites had come over the Jordan River, they had just taken in the harvest. Some people believe that they could have stayed in that city for uh, two years or more and not had to even worry about it. Israel could have just stayed outside, and they would have been stuck, and they would have been in there, and they'd had food and water, and no problem. And so uh, who knows how long it would have taken. Jericho had never been defeated up to that point. Uh, so we know that we, these people could have uh, been stayed there uh, at quite a long time. In fact, Joshua 3.15 is where we find uh, specifically uh, the verse that says, And as they bear... They that bear the ark were come unto Jordan, and the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water. For Jordan overfloweth all his banks all the time of the harvest. And so the uh, Bible speaks specifically that when uh, the children of Israel came through to the Jordan, the banks were overflowing, and that the Bible is saying that during the harvest, the banks were always overflowing. And so there they were. And can I point out something else that's uh, fascinating? When the children of Israel walked through the Red Sea, what happened? The water went up on both sides, right? And they walked through on dry land. 
at the Jordan River, the Bible is very specific that the water stopped on one side and it was a wall of water. I think that's pretty awesome. I think God's specific miracles are amazing. And so uh, they walked through on dry land just as they did, but a little bit different. And I think that was uh, maybe something to point out that it was a different miracle than what Moses got to experience because Joshua now was their leader. And uh, that really was the first miracle that these children of Israel got to see. And so they had to walk God's way. You know, if the children of Israel walked around the city uh, just doing it their own way, maybe they walked around it, but they were just kind of talking with each other. Or maybe somebody was just (laughs) whistling. That would have been wrong. God said very specifically, I want you to walk around. And and let's look at the order. Verse number 6. Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Pass on and compass the city. Let him that is armed pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And it came to pass when Joshua had spoken unto the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests that blew with the trumpets. And the re-reward, all that means is rear guard, came after the ark, the priests going on and blowing with trumpets. So here's the order. There was the armed men were in the front. Then there were the seven priests with trumpets. Then there was the ark of the covenant. And then there was the re-reward, the, the rear guard. So you have the armed men. These are the guys that are the fighters. Then you have the seven uh, priests that are blowing the trumpets. You have the Ark of the Covenant being carried by the priests. And then you have the rear guard. And so they're all walking around this this city. I don't know how long it would take to walk around a nine-acre city. I don't expect it would take too long. But they weren't allowed to talk. Could you imagine trying to get any church anywhere in America to walk around a building without speaking one word or making any noise? I could tell you it would be very difficult. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just, I mean, reality. As people, we don't like to keep our mouths closed really for very long, for most of us. Some people just don't like to talk ever, and that's okay. We're all different. And, uh, but pastors aren't that way, right? Well, we're supposed to be able to talk. Uh, but you know what? They had to walk around, and they had to walk God's way. God said, I want you to do this, and I want you to do it in this order, and I want you to do it this way. So there they are in silence. You know what's interesting? Growing up, I always used to think that it was silent. And there was no noise. But if you read, the Bible speaks of the seven priests are blowing their trumpets while they're walking around. In verse, uh, verse number 8, uh, the seven trumpets of uh, ram's horns passed on before the Lord and blew with the trumpets. That is the priest, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets. So here the people are in silence. The seven priests are blowing their trumpets. Uh, the, the men of war are right in front of them. The ark is behind them and the rear guard. And so I hope you're getting this picture in your mind as they're walking around in silence. And so Joshua says, here we go. Everybody quiet. And so they walk around the city. They finish and they go back to camp. Now, there's not a great distance between uh, the River Jordan and Jericho. Most likely, it's really about five miles uh, between uh, Jericho and then the Jordan River is about five miles away. So... You take all the children of Israel, and then the Dead Sea was only about seven miles. So if you're looking at, if this was Jericho, then the Jordan River flowed uh, to uh, Jericho's east, and the Dead Sea would be down here on the bottom. And so there's only about five miles between Jericho and the Jordan, and about seven miles between Jericho and the Dead Sea. And so there wasn't a whole lot of room. And I don't know, I'm certainly maybe some of you, I, I don't know if have been up to the top of uh, even small mountains. You can see quite a distance if it's not foggy. And uh, up uh, in North Carolina, there's a mountain called Pilot Mountain. 
And we drove up there one day, and they tell me that you can see some, I thought it was like 50 miles if it's clear. I don't know how true that is, but you can see quite a long ways. And so I know Jericho wasn't that tall, but, uh, you know, when you go to the top of really any building, I mean, 40, 50 feet is, is a pretty good distance, and you can see a long way. And so you could imagine that they would see the children coming, they would walk around the city, and then you could see them walking away, and what in the world are they doing? This is absolutely nuts. Well, so there they did. They have to do it God's way. Number two, willingly surrender your own desire. Okay, so here's Joshua. He said, okay, Lord, I'll do it your way. In order for him to get to that point and say, I'll do it your way, he had to willingly surrender his own desires. Because as a new leader, I remember this very specifically. When I, every time I gained rank in the military, there was always this power struggle with the guys that used to be your best buddies uh, that were the same rank as you, and now you outrank them. And so you were trying to make a good impression, and you didn't want to be a jerk, but you wanted to be uh, authoritative. And so the balance was very difficult to find, and some guys were really terrible at it. Others were really good at it, and other guys were just kind of nothing really changed. And so here Joshua is. He says, you know what? This is what I, you know, he was probably thinking, man, I want to just go destroy this place. But God said, no, I want you to walk around it. (laughs) And so he had to surrender his own desire, as we see in verses 6 through 13. Look at verse number 12. Verse 11 says, the ark of the Lord... Uh, compassed the city going about at once and they came in the camp and lodged in the camp verse 12 joshua rose early in the morning the priests took up the ark of the lord and seven uh, seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the lord went on continually blew with trumpets and the armed men went before them but the reward came after the ark of the lord the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets and the second day they compassed the city once and so we see here again that they went around the city just like they were supposed to and the Bible then ends in verse 14, so they did six days. So could you imagine? I, I hope when you read the Bible that it's real to you. This is something that uh, when, I, when I teach to teenagers or preach to teenagers and really our church, and the Lord's really been working on my heart in the last couple of years, and you know, when I, especially when I'm teaching these little kids that we have at our church and our, on our Wednesday night program, and that I'm trying to make sure they understand this is real stuff. It's not Disney fairy tales. You know, there's so much of that in our society today that if we're not careful, we'll read the book and be like, oh, yeah, that's really neat. That's a really neat story. Well, all these things really happen, and uh, these people were all real. And so when we think about these pe- the children of Israel, what were they thinking? I like to think about that sometimes. We read, this, we read the story that they walked around one time. Well, then Joshua gets up on day number two. The Bible says they rose early. And so he gets up. He's like, all right, let's go. We're going to do it again. I don't know about you, but I'm like, the world, this guy's ridiculous. Seriously? Second day in a row, we're going to walk around the city? Like, he's not even telling us we're scouting the place out. Maybe that's what he's doing. I don't know. But anybody that's been under any authority has always questioned authority, right? I mean, any of you that have a job have at least questioned authority one time. If you're human, you've questioned authority because you had parents and you questioned their authority. And if you have a pastor, you question his authority. I mean, it's just the way it is. As human beings, we question authority. And so Joshua is leading the children of Israel the way that he doesn't really necessarily want to, but he's doing it the way he knows God wants it to. And so here they go, day number two, they walk around. The Bible says they did it all six days. So there you go, six days. I can imagine, for me, by day five, I'm giving myself a lot of grace, maybe day three, I would probably be like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Remember what the children of Israel said when they were backed up against the Red Sea? And Egypt was coming, and Pharaoh and his army 
They said, Moses, did you bring us here to die in the wilderness? We at least had good food in Egypt. What were they saying now? On the other side of Jordan, Moses is dead. Josh was the leader. They cross another river, but now this time their back is to where they just came from, up against the river and the Dead Sea. And now they're supposed to be going to this promised land. And Josh was like, we're going to walk around it for a little bit. They're probably thinking, what in the world? What are you doing again? Even if he said, God told me this is how we're going to do it. There were all, I guarantee there were people that did not like it. Why? Because they're human. We're the same way. Then the people in Moses' day were the same. <clears throat> the question is, were they willing to follow him? We see because of the story that they obviously were. You know, these people, they loved Moses, but Joshua obviously was now the leader. And I know he wanted to make a good impression, but they certainly had seen him work with Moses. Certainly he'd proven himself many times, but now it was his turn. And God told him, that it was theirs, but they had to do it his way. And instead of going in and sieging it with great military prowess, God wanted them to walk around it for seven days. And so, as I've said many times, there was no way this was his idea in his mind. But as we think about this, God isn't going to lead you where he isn't going to be with you. And when, when we walk God's way, and then we, number two, willingly surrender our own desires, we're going to find, number three, that we're going to have to wait on the Lord. Because there's going to come a time, verses 14 and 15, where we find the second day they did the same thing as the first day. And then they returned to the camp and they did it six days. Verse 15, it came to pass on the seventh day. They rose early, about the dawn of the day, and compassed the city after the same manner seven times. So certainly now, okay, day seven. I don't know if Joshua told all the children of Israel the plan at the beginning. I don't know. I don't know of any indication that he did here. The Lord told Joshua what to do, and Joshua just said, here it is. And so we find that here it is on day number seven. He says, we're going to shout, but don't you do it until I tell you, until the, until the uh, signal has been made. Joshua said in the people, verse 16, it came to pass on the seventh time when the priest blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. So let me ask you this. Do you, do you think there's ever a time joshua as the leader ever thought or wondered if it was actually going to work like lord what in the world are you doing okay you know this is this is day seven you know they're walking around the first time certainly i would imagine jericho was doing one of two things by day seven either heckling or they were in great fear i'm not sure which probably a little bit of both i think more on the side of kind of heckling with them okay you're gonna you're gonna walk around the city again Blow your ram's horns. Look out. This is crazy. You know, you guys are a mean force. You know, they hadn't defeated anybody at this time. So there was no, uh, can I say there was no uh, reputation for winning all their battles or the Lord being with them in such that way, in that such, a, uh, such a way as that. Uh, the only thing that they had seen was that the, the river had gone up on one side and they walked through on dry land, which was an amazing miracle but like we do sometimes when something amazing happens we as time goes on we kind of just get used to it so that you know days had gone by since that taken place now they've walked around the city and now they're getting used to it right day six comes along and they're just like ah they're just going to walk around the city again don't worry about it but put a couple more guards up there that's fine so here they are day number seven do you think the people ever thought, what in the world is Joshua doing? Why is he our leader? There will always be people that challenge leadership when things that aren't done the normal way. 
whether at a church or at your job, whenever things change, there's always going to be somebody to challenge it. And that's, a, that's the question of, uh, of leadership is, are you going to prepare your people? That's, that's the difficult part. Are you going to prepare the people for it? And so I think Joshua did. And so these are just questions that I'm wondering myself. I just hope that you're not one that criticizes leaders like that. If it isn't unbiblical, then your only option really is to follow that leader. Nothing that Joshua was doing for the children of Israel was unbiblical. It was exactly what God told him to do. Do you think by the fifth and sixth days of walking around the city, they maybe all began to doubt and murmur? I don't know, but the Bible doesn't tell us. What we do know is that they continued obeying. And so we see, number one, that they walked God's way. Number two, they had to willingly surrender their own desires. Number three, they had to wait on the Lord. And then we see, number four, as we finish up the rest of this chapter, we see that they won God's way. When you look at verse number 16, the Bible says uh, at, at the end, Joshua said, The people shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. And then there's a section in there about Rahab. The city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein, the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that, was sent, that we sent. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest you make yourselves accursed. When you take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it, but all the silver, gold, the vessels of brass and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So those are the only four things that God gave them that they were allowed to take. Now I want to remind you of something as well. When they crossed over Jordan, the Bible tells us that manna ceased. They didn't need it any longer. They were now in the promised land, eating of the fruits of the promise that God had given them for so long that they would have just gone to begin with. And so manna had now ceased. Their sandals had lasted for years and years and years. The Bible tells us they never even wore out. I can't get a pair of shoes to last one year or two, let alone 40. But the Bible tells us their sandals and most likely even their clothes didn't even wear out. And so here they are. They cross the Jordan River. They're walking around. They're doing all this stuff. And God says, I only want you to take silver, gold, vessels of brass and iron. Now, what did I tell you earlier? The harvest had just been taken in, and most likely there was other stuff in the city. And what do we know about that time of, of uh, civilization? Well, uh, there wasn't Walmart. There wasn't Meyer. You couldn't just go down to the store and, and buy food. You had to grow it. And when you grew it, it was very important to keep it. And they had just taken in the harvest. And man, one, rule number one of sieging a city after you kill everybody is you take everything, including the food. Because food is, is like the number one commodity. You just can't have enough of it. And uh, so we find something very interesting a little bit later on. But God says, I want you to only take silver, gold, vessels of brass, and iron. And those are going to be consecrated to the Lord. In fact, they're going to come into the treasury of the Lord. So look at verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass, when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell on flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. It's very interesting when you study archaeology, a couple things take place. Well, there's a lot of things about this specific uh, story. Is that in order for uh, the, words, the walls to fall down flat, it's actually quite amazing because what happens is because those walls were so high and it was kind of built up like this, when the walls fell down, the walls actually made a ramp for the children of Israel to go up into the city. And isn't it interesting that God's word says, so the people went up into the city? It's very specific, and I think God's word is amazing like that. And sometimes, we, sometimes we'll just jump over things like that. 
and missed the awesomeness of it. Every man straight before him, and they took the city. Verse 21, they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man, woman, young and old, ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in, brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brethren, all that she had. They brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. Listen to this. They burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver, the gold, the vessels of brass and of iron, they put in the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth his city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn and his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. You know, when it was set, all said and done, God took away all the obstacles in their way to victory. They had to do it God's way, though. In fact, Rahab and her family were saved as a result of them doing it right. God made good on his promise, just like he always has and always will. And we find, even in archaeological findings, what they tell us is that there were, they even found pots that are full of grain. That, that doesn't happen. And there are some archaeologists that aren't uh, uh, biblical or, or Christians even, or even believe in the Bible somewhat, they don't understand it because they're like, that never happens. The pots are always empty when someone takes it. Or sometimes we don't even find pots because uh, the whole thing is taken. But what they found is I've even seen pictures of pots full of grain. And you can actually see burn marks. Uh, on the pots themselves because the bible tells us very specifically that they were to set fire uh to all of that the only thing that was taken was the gold silver uh the uh, brass and the iron and so as the children of israel went and did that they took rahab and her family out and we also find that archaeologists in digging jericho site is that on the northwest corner of jericho there's a section of the wall that didn't fall down now, isn't that a great coincidence of the outer wall? That entire city is just destroyed to rubble, and there's one little portion that's big enough for a house. Now, they would live in the wall. Remember, I said they're six feet thick. And so they would have houses in the walls, or part of it would be, and at least. And so, isn't it amazing? Certainly, we know that her uh, Rahab would have to put that red scarlet uh, threat, uh, uh, thread or cloth hanging out her window to remind them that hey here's where we are those were the instructions she was given isn't it a beautiful picture i believe of the salvation christ brings because really it's through the blood of christ that we're saved because of what he did and because she had that scarlet uh uh, thread hanging out of her window i wonder as the children walked around that first day they must have seen it that's rahab's house they walk around the second day that's Rahab's house. She's going to be saved. God promised that she's going to be saved if we, when we take this city. That third day and fourth, fifth, sixth day, they walk around seven times as a reminder. And Joshua even reminded them, go and get her and her family. And then they took every, they killed everybody, took everything, silver, gold, brass, and iron, and left everything else and burned the place. And I think that red scarlet uh, thread was just such a beautiful picture of the salvation. Why? She was saved because she believed that their God was somebody. 
and they and she asked very specifically that if uh, she hid them, would her family be spared? And you know what was amazing is not only was the decision that she made saving for her, the decision she made affected others. The Bible tells us that really it was her whole family. It says that her father, her mother, her brethren, and all that she had was saved as a result of that one decision she made. And isn't it amazing that every one of us, the decisions that we make have effects on others. The decision that Joshua made before they ever walked around Jericho the first time had an effect on the children of Israel. Had he said, God, that sounds absolutely ridiculous. Would God have struck him dead and put up a new leader in place? I don't know. It didn't happen. I don't like to think a whole lot about what ifs, but I wonder sometimes. You know, Joshua was ready and willing to obey the Lord. He was ready to walk God's way. He was willingly going to surrender his own desire. And then he had to wait on the Lord, which is the hard part, I think. Sometimes it's hard to surrender our own desire, but we can get past that. Sometimes the hardest part is waiting. Because we want things now, especially now, today, in our society. Everything's now, 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 right? The, the fast food restaurants need to get faster. The food needs to be hotter. Uh, the, the prices need to get lower. I need a food right now. I need it dropped off at my doorstep. I want a drone to bring it to my door, right? I think UPS has been testing that for some, some time now, about uh, sending drones out to deliver packages. Why? Because people want stuff now. They want to be able to just package it up, attach it to a drone, and it's at your doorstep in like 30 minutes to an hour is what they're going for from last I checked uh, that I read about that. We want everything now. And so sometimes we have to wait. We have to wait on God. and We, have to, we, we just have to do that. And we know what we'll do. We'll win God's way. Certainly for seven days the children marched around that city seeing that rope, and they had to have been reminded about God's promise. You see, when we do things God's way, it doesn't just affect us. Others are affected as well. So I just want to ask you a few questions this morning. Are you walking God's way today? It's a good rem- You know, this is one of my favorite parts of the year. Between December 5th, 25th, Christmas, once Christmas is over, really to December 26th, and January 1st is one of my favorite parts of the year. You know why? Because I, what's that? Well, vacation, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Vacation's always good. But especially for this reason, I like to think back, what did I do this year? What did I do? What did I do well? And how can I improve that? What did I not do well? What did I fail in? And I cover all the areas of my life. I cover my marriage. I cover uh, my relationship with my children. I cover being a pastor. I cover just being a Christian. What is my relationship with the Lord? Am I better off than I was last year? Okay, now how am I going to make it even better? How was my Bible reading? How was my time with the Lord in prayer? How was uh, my giving? Did I give all year long out of a heart of love to the Lord for what he's done for me? Or did I do it out of duty? Because that's what I was supposed to do. I'm supposed to tithe the 10% and give offering above that and give my faith promise and, uh, you know, all those things. That's what I'm supposed to do. And so I love this time of year. Why? Because it's a good time to reflect upon the previous year and then make goals for the next year. You know you'll never hit a goal that you never set? I know that sounds simple. Uh, One of my favorite statements that one preacher I I hear say often is, what gets planned gets done. And what I have learned to love is a calendar because I start putting stuff on there. And I have failed in areas of things that I have planned this year. But you know what? 
I know that when I look back, that even though I failed doing certain things as many times as I wanted to last year, I did them more than the previous year. And so this year, I'm going to set a goal again, and I hope that I'm going to do more than last year. And eventually, it'll just become more and more. We, we, we do what get, we get done what gets planned. You know, when you put uh, the church calendar together, those events, 99 times out of 100, always happen, don't they? I mean, I, out of our church calendar, out of all the things that happened, I think there was only one event that didn't happen, and it was because it got rained out two weekends in a row. So we just made it something else. It was a camp out we were going to do at church. It got rained out both weekends, and so we just turned it into a family game night indoors. But you know what? All the other things got done. Why? They were planned. And so we, we just expected to do them. So the question is, for a lot of Christians, is do they plan on being in church? Do they plan on giving to the Lord? Do they plan on being an encouragement to their pastor and his wife? Do they plan on being an encouragement to one another? Do they plan on loving their spouse like they're supposed to? Do they plan on witnessing to others more? Do they plan on uh, just being a good, godly Christian? Do they plan on reading their Bible like they ought to? Volume isn't always necessarily the best thing. Quality sometimes is better than volume. And so I would challenge you to make sure uh, that you spend good quality time with God in his word. And so are you walking God's way today? Are you willingly surrendering your own desires to him? Are you waiting on the Lord? If you are, then this question, are you winning God's way, really it ought to be yes. What is holding you back from being a Joshua and following God his way? Are you willing to set aside what you think is best for what God knows is best? He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. He will never flee from you. Instead, he will always be with you wherever you go. And that is the faith that will move a nation. Because of that faith that Joshua had in God's word, simply saying, Joshua, this is what I want you to do. Joshua was able to lead the children of Israel and move that nation to victory. We find out later that just after that, they lost a terrible defeat because of Achan's sin in the city of Ai. It was such a small city. They even had a small name. And so there they were, right back at the beginning, having to look at their own lives. But you know what? They didn't end at that defeat. They got things right. They took care of the sin problem. They killed the sin problem. And they went on to great victories over and over again. But they always had to reflect and make sure that they were doing things God's way. And every time the children of Israel did things God's way, you know what happened? They won God's way every time. You know what the issue is? Really? I deal with this just as much as anybody else. When I do it my way, I'm not sure if it's going to happen. I'm not sure if it's going to be the right way. Let me say it like that. But when I do it God's way, it's never been wrong. So as a, as a human being, sometimes I think to myself, why don't I do it God's way every time? I mean, isn't that simple, right? It's simple to say, but it's really hard to do. And so the question is, we've got to give up our own desires a lot of times, and then we have to wait on him. And when we're walking God's way, we'll win his way. Father, I pray you'd help us this morning. Learn something from your word as we think about this, and then as we have the message this morning, Lord, help me as I preach. Thank you for each one here. Lord, I pray it'd be a blessing and a help to them. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Dismissed? Amen.